Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. How's everybody doing this morning? How many of you started the conversation this week with somebody? Amen. And the crickets go wild. There was no response. Um, so we are jumping into a, uh, a new series called Sharing Your Faith. And we covered last week the importance of starting the conversation. If we don't start the conversation, very rarely can the conversation go anywhere, right? So if you missed it, you can check out our podcast uh, from, from last week and just some, some, some ways to maybe open the conversation, to redirect the, the conversation in a way where we can effectively uh, minister and, and talk to people and break the ice. How many of you, once you start talking to somebody, you got a hard time shutting up, right? But it's hard to start the conversation, right? With, with people you don't know, just be kind, be courteous. Remember last week we said, just start with saying hello if you don't know what to do. But check out that podcast on the Harvest Time Church podcast if uh, you don't follow it or you just to keep up. But this morning, we're going we're gonna to dig into another layer, and we're going to look at not just uh, starting the conversation, but sharing the gospel. So I know a lot of times it can be intimidating with talking to people. Have you ever tried to talk about something, but you don't know what you're talking about? That's really, really hard to do. If I'm trying to explain something to somebody, and I don't know what I'm trying to explain, I'm confused, and guess what? You will be confused. So we are going to look at really um, the, the, the five uh, critical components of the gospel. So we're going to look at those. So when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you need to be talking about all five of these. If you're not talking about them, are you really sharing the gospel? Or are you just sharing a fraction? Now, I know a lot of people, and by the grace of God, people get saved even when we don't have all of the nuts and bolts put into place. I know that. Because I've seen people say, well, I don't know what to do. Just call on the name of Jesus and they're radically saved. But we still have to have an understanding of what we believe, what we stand on um, to be able to communicate to people well um, what it is that, that God has done for us, what it is that Jesus did for us, uh, the plan of salvation for humanity, right? We want to be confident. The more we know about it, the more likely we will have conversations with others because we know what we're talking about. I know when people are talking about something I have no clue about, you know what I do? I just sit there and listen. Like, I don't really contribute a lot, but they start talking about guitars or music or worship or church. Pastor Noe is engaged in that conversation because it is something I love, something I'm passionate about. And even just from the knowledge side, have a lot of knowledge base. So this morning, if you don't know nothing about the gospel and you're like, man, I'm saved by grace, that's all I know. I hope to give you a few more fundamental tools this morning when you're communicating to others to be able to articulate these things in a little better way. Will that help anybody this morning? Right, just to help us in conversation to know what to say. So the gospel is, is really, in essence, the good news of what Jesus has done for you and I. That simple. Like, it's, it's not really, I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. We say, well, you know, this Bible's real big, but the gospel's simple. Um, receiving salvation is simple. We overcomplicate it. Now, we have to understand, learning and knowing Jesus is just the start Right? We don't know Jesus and then we just lollygag and wait around and then for Jesus to come back and then that's the end, right? Learning to, to, uh, to grow in our Christian walk is what's important. 
So to truly understand what God had in mind for humanity, we have to go all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden because I think sometimes we look around at humanity where it is today in fallen nature, in sin, and we kind of say, what was God doing? He messed this thing all up. Why do bad things happen? Why is it so hard? Why do I have to come to church? Why do I sin often? All of these things that we deal with in a fallen world. So if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world, we have to look at that as the starting point. What God intended was to, for us to have not just relationship with each other, but to continue relationship with him. Unsevered, unbroken by sin, it says that God would walk around in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day and he would call out to Adam, Adam, where are you? And they'd have conversations and it was just sweet, unbroken fellowship. So we have to go back to that because like, I think sometimes our mindsets of who God is, well, he's this hard God or he's this loving God or we don't understand what the original blueprint was because we're living in the fallen nature side of it and sometimes it's hard to wrap our mind around. But we're built for a relationship. But prior to the fall, humanity was in right standing with God. There was no sin, uh, so much so that they walked around naked and didn't feel shame. You wrap your mind around that. Nobody would do that. Right? It was completely undefiled. It was perfect, exactly how God wanted it. But, you know, when sin happened, humanity started covering up. They started hiding, they started separating, and you know, to me it mind boggles me that Adam and Eve hid in the garden, and God had to say, where are you? Now, we know that God didn't lose him, but what happened when sin came into the earth, man was no longer where he was supposed to be. He was no longer in the configuration that he once was, but there was a separation. Okay, so we have to understand, original blueprint was to be in relationship with God. It was fractured and fragmented by sin entering the world through Adam, and it caused a separation problem. So Adam was the first Adam, and he sinned, but it wasn't until the second Adam, Jesus, that came, that he came once and for all for the redemption of our separation problem. So Romans 5, 17 through 18 it says, for if by the trespass of one man, it's talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 18, this is what we really got to pay attention to. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. Can you say that word, all people? It's not just me. It's not just my family. When, when, you know, God had a plan to redeem the world, you know, so anytime that we try to justify or we say, well, man, did God really care about all of us? There's some bad people out there. His heart was to redeem all humanity, all mankind back to him. But we see that, you know, one trespass in, in Adam, condemnation was released. But we see one righteous act of obedience from Jesus that resulted in justification of the saints, of those who believe in Jesus. Best way to always remember the word justification is just as if I had never sinned. Jesus put us back in that place of, of being covered from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. So condemnation, you know, there was guilt for all people. Now there's justification. He's at, he actually has made us innocent once again. And we're living new lives. And we have new life available, not just for us, 
but for all the people of the world. So what is the gospel? If I were to give you a definition, some of you guys have heard this definition. Some of you, it will be new to you. I would encourage you to take a picture of this next slide. This is the nuts and bolts. If you can memorize this, if you can quote this, if you can understand this, in a nutshell, you will be able to explain what the gospel is. So the gospel is the good news that Jesus became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died in our place. Okay, that's the first part of it. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to anyone who repents and believes in him. That's it in a nutshell. Let's pray. Let's go home. Just playing. But that, 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 if you walk away with this, we're winning. If you understand just these fundamental things, he raised from the dead, proving he was the son of God. He lived the perfect life and he died the death that I should have died. We have to understand that God stood in our place and that he, that he provides salvation and forgiveness to anyone who repents and believes in him. So God is a God who loves us so much that he proved it through Jesus. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, now that we kind of have this framework for the heartbeat behind the gospel, we're going to look at these five critical components, because I think if we don't have the understanding of the nature and the heart of God, I think we'll miss it. Right? We have to understand God loves us. Can you say that? Say God loves me. Say it with your mouth. God loves me just like I am right where I'm at today. Doesn't matter what you did this week. It doesn't matter what you did right before you came to church. God loves you right now, right where you're at. He accepts you. He loves you madly in love with you. So we have to understand that's the framework. He wants a rest, restor, uh, restoration of relationship with you right now. All right. So as we look at this, five critical components of the gospel, we have to know that he loves us, that there was a sin problem, that Jesus stepped in and he has redeemed that. So the first critical component of the gospel is grace. Now we hear that word a lot, the grace of God, the grace of God. Thank God for grace. My daughter, if she's in here, she loves it because her name is Grace. She's like, they're saying my name, daddy. No, they're talking about grace, but your name is Grace. Right? So grace is not getting what you do deserve. You have to realize that we are guilty, we are sinful, we are deserving of death. But in grace, it is a free gift of God. You have to wrap your mind around this. This is really kind of hard. So heaven, heaven, there is a hell, there is a hell, there is a heaven. You got that. We have to understand heaven is a free gift. We got anybody around here that likes to pass up free gifts? Do most people pass up free gifts? If I'm handing out $100 bills, who's not going to take one? I'm taking one even if I don't need it, right? Like, you know, it doesn't matter. It's free. I'm going to take it. That's the simplicity of the gospel. It's getting something that we don't deserve, that heaven is God's gift to us. It's a place prepared for the saints. When we die and we, and we breathe our last breath here, that he has went and he's preparing a place before us. Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. It is the gift, right? We want to get mad at God and say, well, why is he causing all these things? He didn't just leave us in this fallen state. He has given us grace as a way out. We have to understand that. Like it, it is, a, it's a free gift. 
But just like if I try to give you a $100 bill, you can reject it. But I think a lot of people reject it because they don't know what you have. You know, it would be like if I had a $100 bill and I crinkled it up and it's in the palm of my hand. You knew it was of monetary value, but you didn't know how much it was, right? You're like, hey, do you want this money in my hand? Well, a kid, they're going to be like, man, it's a dollar or it's a quarter. They're not going to take it. They're going to, you're right. They don't know the value. And I think some of that, you have to move in faith to trust it. Hey, whatever, I'll take whatever. But we get so worried about being shortchanged because we've been shortchanged in life. We think God is going to shortchange us. And he doesn't do that. He gives us his best and he gives us something to us. And he says, hey, do you want this free gift? All you got to do is say, yeah, I don't really know what it is, but I'll take it. And it ends up being way more than we could have hoped and imagined. This is grace. It's getting what we don't deserve. It is not earned and it is not deserved. So it's unearned, unmerited, undeserving. And guess what, guys? It's completely free. That's crazy. You mean I don't have to work for it? I don't have to earn it? Do you understand that, that this is really... Um, holy ghost. I thought the kid was falling through the wall. I was like... All right. They, keep the power on, Lord. Uh, but not earning it, not deserving it. Do you know this is contrary to the world system? You want a bonus? You want a raise? What do you do? Work hard for it. You, you, want, you want to pay off your house? Guess what? You're going to work for it. You want to have nice things? Guess what? You're going to have to work for it. Like this is completely contrary. You mean I can just get this for free? I don't earn it. I don't work for it. This is completely mind boggling to the world. Because when we do bad things, guess what we expect? To receive bad things. When we do good things, guess what? No, I want my reward. Right? I've been good at lunch. Can I have my piece of bubble gum from the, can, the vending machine when we leave, mom? Right? This, I think, rewarded for good behavior. I remember going to Golden Corral back in the day. Man, every time I would act bad, I wouldn't get dessert. You know how many times Pastor Noe missed dessert? <laughs> like, you're not getting dessert. It's like, oh, that was like the worst punishment. But it was based on merit. It was based on behavior. Uh, I was going to get what I deserved, right? So this is where grace is sometimes hard to receive because it's getting what I don't deserve, and most of us don't accept it. And we miss the first fundamental point of receiving grace because you feel like you have to be good enough. You have to earn it. And that was completely God's point there. He didn't want us to have to earn it, but he wanted to freely give to us something that was undeserving. And all we have to do is receive it. So if it was based on earning it, it would also require us to be good enough. And guess what? You and I, even on our best day, are not good enough. So it left us in this place of, so, so the first fundamental uh, critical component is grace. And then we have to also understand man. We have to understand the, the configuration of man. So we look at um, grace and then we look at man. Man, we are all born into sin and we're in need of being covered. Man is a sinner. Straight up. There, there's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to fix it. it. You know, we're in a broken state by ourselves. So we have to understand the grace of God is getting what we don't deserve. And the second part, we have to understand that, that man is a sinner. Always is, always was, is going to continue to even in receiving Jesus, there's going to be still things that we fall short of. It's just in our nature. Romans 3, 23 
through 24, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. There you go, grace again, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's how we, that's how we make it out okay. That's, you know, so that, that we have all sinned, we're all, but we're all justified. Remember, like I didn't, it's a reset, like I've never done it. And then it was released freely, say for free. That's what it is. We've been given it freely. And then it says that this redemption that came by Jesus Christ, there was a exchange, his life for ours. He lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we deserved in our place. Remember, we're gonna wrap all of this around that gospel statement because this is the gospel. But man is a sinner. There's nothing I can do. I'm deserving of hell. You, gotta, you have to realize that. That's the place that we're at. We have to understand that. All have sinned and are sinners. We're all guilty as charged. We are born guilty. I think there's many new parents that, you know, the first time their baby cries, they're like, oh, just heaven's gift. Perfect. Oh, give them a little time. You'll see some rebellion spruce up in there. You can understand what they're saying. They want milk. They want to be changed. It's me, 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 I, I, I. It's all about self because that's what we're born into. It's who we are. So having a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't stop all your sinning, but it does cover those sins. It covers us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. So we're sinners in need of saving from our own destruction. So man, you know, he's a sinner and we cannot save ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Uh, I think we really got to get this one. Um, you know, I see a lot of people sometimes it's like bipolar Christianity, right? There's certain days, man, I feel all spiritual and I feel good and I want to come to church. And then there's other days I'm down in the dumps cause I'm judging myself way, way harder than God would. And I'm probably listening to the devil, right? Where when I'm messing up or I'm not doing good, well, I'm not worthy to go to church today. Uh, and you know, we'll make an excuse if I were to call you say, Hey man, we missed you. What was going on? Oh, well, pastor, you know, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right, just keep showing up. You're a sinner. Can you say that? Point yourself, say, I'm a sinner. Say, God's okay with that. I gotta be okay with that. But that's not where it stops, right? So we have to understand grace is getting what we don't deserve. The second part, understanding that man is a sinner. There's nothing we can do to change that. None of us can earn our way to heaven. So what's the next third component? We gotta look at God. So we look at grace, we look at man, and then we have to look at God. God is perfect. He is perfect in every way, in every form, in every fashion. He did not mess up the arrangement. Humanity messed up the arrangement. Um, and we will continue to do so till Jesus comes back. But God in his perfection, we have to understand that God is merciful and God is just. He's twofold. Uh, people want a God who is just merciful, but sometimes when we're guilty, we don't want a God who is just. We want just a God of mercy. How many of you seen that? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Your, your kid makes a really bad move or does something. You're praying for the God of mercy, not the God of judgment 
or a just God that is going to give you what you according to what you've done, right? So we're stuck in between this perfect, trying to wrap our mind around this perfect God. And depending on what we need, we want a God full of mercy. Or when somebody's wronged us, we want a just God. Lord, you said, you know, don't, you know, you'll get your revenge. We start, we want the justice of God. So merciful, uh, uh, you know, in, in God's mercy, we have to understand that he does not want to punish us. Got to wrap our mind around that. In God's mercy, he doesn't want to punish us. He loves us. He sent Jesus. He showed us. So to show one mercy, it, it, the definition is actually compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm him. Man, God could go like this and our life would be over. But in his mercifulness, in his mercy towards us, he loves us. He cares about us. So he, he shows us love. He is gracious and he is kind. He is holy. He is righteous. But he is also just. So what does it mean? So he is merciful, which means he does not want to punish sin. But he is just, therefore he must punish us. Because God cannot contradict something he has said. When he says, those who do not know me at the end of time will come before heaven. It'll say, your name is not written in the book of life. Away from me, you evildoers, you who practice lawlessness and sin. It's pretty straightforward. He can't say, oh, ah, man, I was just playing. You guys come on in. He can't do that. Because he's just, he has, to, he has to do what he says he would do. But in his mercy, he's also provided a way out. So we got to have balance. You know, I've seen it where somebody wants to camp on mercy side and somebody wants to camp on, you know, the justice being just side. But we have to understand God is both. He's a perfect balance of both sides. So he is a God who is perfectly merciful and he is perfectly just. So he loves us, but he's also required to do to us what he has said he, do, he would do. And that is the consequence of sin. But the good thing about the story is that in who God is, he also provided a way out, a way of escape. Number four, critical component, Christ. Jesus has to be in the equation. He has to be added to it. So when we look at number one, grace, it's not getting what we do deserve. Man is a sinner, and then God is perfectly merciful, and he is perfectly just. And then we have to look at Christ. So what did Christ Jesus do? Christ, he died in our place. He, he released the forgiveness of, of sin. He actually exchanged his life for ours. Okay? That's what he did. He came. He laid his life down. He was perfect. So who was, who was Jesus? Who was Christ? So he is the infinite God-man. So what does that mean? When you hear that word, like infinite God-man, what does that mean? He is not limited by time or space. Um, but we understand that, you know, Jesus became, uh, you know, God became man in Jesus. So when we get into the whole Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, he came in the flesh, um, you know, it was God's plan. They, they were all part, they were all in this plan together, you know, so he came in the flesh, but he died for the forgiveness of sin. Um, Jesus was all God and all man. So he was the only one who could cover sin because he was the only one born without sin. We look in the scripture, it says he was born by the spirit. You know, the, the spirit, you know, overshadowed Mary and she got pregnant by the spirit. That was the difference, ladies and gentlemen. You know, you say, well, how was he perfect? He was not born by flesh and blood, but he was born by spirit. 
try to wrap your mind around that. That's why God's God and we're not. Like, he's like, how did that happen? I don't know, but it happened, right? So he was born perfect. He was, the, he, was the, he was the only one born absent of sin. He was the perfect spotless lamb that was gonna take away the sins of the world. He would cover our sin, dying the death we should have died. John 1, 1 and 2 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So every time that word is spoken, it's, it's referencing Jesus. Let me read it one more time, understanding that. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So as we talk about doctrine or we talk about like, what was it? Well, we know that Jesus was with God when? In the beginning. If we go back to Genesis, it actually says the spirit of God hovered over the face of the earth. Guess when? In the beginning. So we see Father, the, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were always in existence. They were always going together. And then we get the rest of the picture in John 1, 14. So we go a little bit further down. So when you're like, how do you know that the word is Jesus? All right, let me help you. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Got it? That was Jesus sent in the flesh. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Okay. So that is who Jesus was. So who he is, he was the infinite God man. He was perfect. He covered the sins of the world. He was always with God. He's always been part of God. He was sent in the flesh. So what, what, what did he do? So Jesus paid for our sins and purchased a place for us in heaven for us. So God offers us salvation through Jesus as a free gift. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the key. Right, right, you, know, you know, he can't get, he says that, you know, that there's no other way under heaven or in the earth by which man can be saved. Jesus is the only way. So it's not by merit. You know, we've kind of, everybody got that? It's not by what you do. It's not on your good days. It's not on your bad days. It's by Jesus and Jesus alone. So what he did is he, he actually provided and did everything necessary. There was life, there was death, there was burial, and there was resurrection. So he lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died in our place. So he was perfect in every single way. And he died the death that I, I deserve to be on that cross. Do you realize that? We each deserve to be on that cross. We are guilty. But he stood in our place, died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was the son of God. A lot of people thought, assumed, and probably were unsure if, if Jesus was really who he said he was until he rose up. The moment he raises up and he can't be found and then he shows up to the disciples and he appears to many others, at that moment, it is now not, it, it causes speculation to all of a sudden move to fact. I am who I said I am. I will do what I said I will do. So he rose from the dead and what is he doing now? He's sitting at the right hand of God, glorified, which that means being lifted up into heaven and now he's sitting at the right hand of God and it says that he is praying for you and I. So Jesus, what he did, and we, we talked a little bit about, you know, this Easter and different things like that. But he closed the gap between God and humanity, offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness to anyone who repents and believes in him. Did you get that? Anyone who repents and believes. How many of you guys have ever profiled people? 
walking around. Like if you got five people and you get to pick who you're going to preach the gospel to, you're like, ooh, man, that one ain't ready. Man, that one looks kind of sketchy. Man, this looks like a good old Christian boy that might not reject me. And his heart can be harder than the other two. Sometimes we are guilty of being judged or feel like who, who, who is deserving of the gospel? Who is deserving to receive the free gift of salvation? But in this passage here, he says that it is available to all who believe and repent. It's available to all. So guess what? I want to give it to everybody. I don't want to pick and choose. So we have to understand grace. It's a free gift of God. We have to, have to understand that man had an issue. He was sinless, full of sin. There's nothing he could do to fix the situation. We have to understand who God is, that he is full of mercy, but he is also just. He doesn't want to punish us, but because he is just, he must do what he says he's going to do. Thank the Lord for Christ that he came into the equation and he forgave us of all sins, but it wouldn't be complete without the fifth component. What do you think the fifth component is? Faith. Who said that? Put your hand up. Don't lie. Who, who's it? You got it? Man, Christina. That's all I'm talking about, girl. Faith is the fifth component. So with, without faith, you know, you know, many people get to that place. You know how many of the, of, you know, man, if you worked with me, I ain't talking to you, but I'm talking about other people. Uh, the, all the people that I've worked with in my life that says they, they know Jesus, but yet they're heathens. It says that even the devil believes that Jesus is who he said he was. But without faith, that, that is the actual, the follow through. That is the final element where we actually place our faith in Jesus. And you say, hey, who's a Christian in here? Whew. What you're saying is, well, we believe the story of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we are a follower of Jesus. Faith is where everything is activated. It's the difference maker in the equation. It says without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is the final step. It is the final key. So we have to first look at faith is really, in an essence, releasing control of our lives and fully placing our trust in the work of Jesus in our lives. We got any control people in here like to control every variable? Y'all don't even want to raise your hand because you're trying to be in control of yourself right now. Right? Control. Like, I don't want to release control. What if, what if I release control and he messes it up? Well, guess what? You remain in control. You will mess it up. But it's releasing control of our lives. It's releasing control of our destiny. It's trusting that the plan and course that God has for us is going to be good. Right? So faith is releasing of that control. So what, what is faith? What is it not? We're going to look at what it's not and what it is. So it's not mere intellectual assent or temporal faith. What that means, it's not just head knowledge. Many people, man, you can go through these, the first four and miss heaven. You can know all of those things. You can quote all of those things. You can get to heaven and say, look what I did, God. I told him the top four. And he'll look at you. Where was the faith? Because faith is the key that unlocks heaven. So it's not just trusting Christ. When we say temporal faith, what does that mean? That's not just trusting God for life, health, children, finances, and strength. Now, those are important things. We pray that all the time. But it's not just in this life. Right? We pray that a lot. Lord, help my faith. Help my family. Help my kids. Help me be financially well off. We pray all that. It's just not here and now. It's bigger than that. Faith is going to transcend time. 
It doesn't stop when we, when we leave this life. It is just, it is, it's what's going to really be the catalyst that makes us uh, enter into heaven in the second phase of our life. So what is it? Faith is truly just trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Um, faith in Jesus is where our confidence comes from. And this is ensuring our place in heaven with God. So when I, when I worked for STP, they had a rope rescue team. Now, it'd be fine if you're in control of the descent, but how they did things, and I looked at them, I was like, come again. What they would do, the team would allow you to descend. I'll tell you what, that's all fine and good till you go over the railing. And you're thinking about your, their, your life is literally in their hands. So I'm double checking gear. I'm looking who my rope man is. Before I step over, y'all got the rope. Everybody ready? Don't play on your phone. Don't be, pay attention to what's about to happen because my life is literally in their hands. And I'll tell you what, once I got trusting them, it gave me the boldness to step over. Now, it's still pretty scary, 60 feet in the air, holding on to a pole. Everything in your mind is saying, what in the world are you doing, you big idiot? Stay on the right side of the guardrail. It's safer over there. But what faith really does, it just it lets go. And you fall back. And man, and that, that, that first three inches is the longest three inches of your life. But then the harness catches you, the rope catches you, and then the team is in control and they let you down. That's what a lot of faith is. It's trusting that God is going to catch you and, you know, and, and just trusting in control of what he's doing. And so it's, it's just faith is the key that unlocks the door of heaven. Without faith, you can't get in. Without stepping over the railing, you can't get in. Without letting go and say, Lord, my life is yours, you can't get in. It says, what merit is it to man if he gains the whole world but yet forfeits his soul. There has to be a releasing of our will and our plan and saying, Lord, my life is no longer my own, but I willfully give it to you. I trust you. And I'll tell you what, I'm a thinker too. I was asking, how much does the harness support? Is everything geared right? Is the safety line connected? I, I mean, I'm no dummy, right? But it's okay to look at the first four and work through those analytically and through your mind and look at all of those things. But faith has to come from something a little bit deeper than just your head. It has to come from your heart. It has to come from deep inside and just trusting that God did what he said he would do. Jesus fulfilled all of the things that he said he was going to accomplish. And this is what I'm going to trust in. Ephesians 2.8, it says, Grace through faith that you are saved. Grace is, grace is available, but faith from you is necessary. Um, how many of you have ever not heard the, the chair illustration to faith? Has not. Okay, I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to share. Everybody, you never heard that faith? I mean, I feel like it's kind of been overdone. but So faith is like a chair. This is an illustration that really helps you understand. Now, um, everybody's sitting in a chair this morning, right? So you have already answered the first question that you believe the chair to be there, right? Just come somebody sit. Can you come sit in this chair right here? 
You're not going to just plop down, right? You're going to believe that it's there or none of you would have sat down, right? So the first thing, you know, in faith is believing that it exists. Before you sit down, before you think, will it hold me? Is it safe? Does it exist? So when we talk about faith in God, does God exist? Do I believe in God? Do I believe in a heaven and hell? Do I believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do and he accomplished everything for me on the cross? This is where faith really, really starts getting real and it's a big deal because we can say, oh man, it was a good story. I think some people believe that, but I'm just not really set and I'm not really convinced. Until you get to that place of where it moves from the head to the heart, man cannot be saved. Because it's not just figuring it out. It's believing that God exists. Secondly, it's trusting that God will hold you. That God will be able to sustain anything that happens in your life. So how do you prove that the chair exists and God and the chair will hold you? What do you do? You guys put some pretty good confidence in that chair this morning, right? Why would we not put the same confidence in God? We must believe that he exists and we place our life in his hands, trusting that he will hold us, right? We just plop down on that chair like it's nothing, right? Well, we trust God in the same fashion. We have to trust God. We have to release God. So to receive the gift of Jesus, you must transfer Trust from yourself to Christ. You have to set your life literally in the hands of Jesus. And that's it. And you trust God for the results. You trust the Holy Ghost to come in and to begin to change things and to mold and to shape. And, you know, from that moment on, you should start changing. But till you sit down and you release that faith, have you really even started living yet? Because I think many, many people, they fall short. They know the information. They know the Bible. But has there ever been a surrendering of faith? So critical component number one is grace. Understanding it is a free gift. Number two, that man is a sinner. You got that slide with all those, the, the titles and the answers. Man is a sinner. God is merciful and just, understanding that Christ died the death we should have died, and faith is trusting in Jesus for salvation and forgiveness. And that, ladies and gentlemen, really in a nutshell, is the gospel. It's what Jesus has done. It's what God has done. It is the plan that God had to redeem the world. So the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to anyone, and I say anyone, who rep repents and believes in him. Once we know Jesus, do you understand what the motive is to continue to live a godly life. When I continue to reflect and remember what Jesus has done for me, it keeps me in that heart of gratitude where I can continually live a life for him. Even when I have to do something I don't want to do, I count it an honor and a privilege to serve. 
and to be a part of the family of God. Christ gave his life for us. And the final offer that he gave us was to believe and repent. To change from our ways and choose to live a life for him. It's a turning from our ways and it's a turning towards Jesus. He gave his life for me. So why would I not tell as many people as I can about him? I believe that's the heart of God for each of us. Uh, I want to give you guys, before we, we get out of here, just and it's going to be a little practical. You're like, is this religious? Is this whatever? These are just quick little nuggets to just help you be a good communicator, to be a, a good representative of the gospel. But uh, four practical practices is what I'm going to say. Uh, when you're telling others about Jesus, don't use Christianese. And what I mean by that, you know, make sure you're using words that people understand and not churchy words that nobody will understand. Like I could tell you, hey, uh, you know, he will sanct- he, you know, you were sanctified, glorified, justified, and whoever the heck you're talking to, now they're completely confusified. Yeah. And they're like, uh-huh. They don't got a clue what you're saying. So, and you'll notice I do this when I use a word, I try to explain the word, but we, as church people, we know the word, but we just assume they know the word. They might not know that. So when we say sanctified, instead of saying sanctified, just say, hey, uh, he cleaned me up from my sin. Understand that, right? What about glorified, gone up to heaven to be with the father, justified, God sees me as if, uh, as if I've never sinned. You hear me say that almost every time I quote the word justified. Resurrection. I mean, that can be like, I mean, I think people know, but what that means, brought back to life. Like Jesus was resurrected. That's awesome. What the heck is resurrection? I'm talking about unchurched people that don't know. Hey, he was raised back to life. He, he, he was dead and he woke back up. Atoning sacrifice. I was like, okay, that sounds great. I'll pray for that. What the heck is atoning sacrifice? That he took my punishment. How about backsliding? What do you mean? Like, is that like something inverted, like slip and slide? Think, you got to think like this when you're talking to people. Well, you're just backsliding. Like, what's that look like? I've never seen myself do that. But we just say, hey, you know, uh, we're walking away from our relationship with God. That's how we communicate these things. Crucified, what does that mean? Man, they crucified Jesus. Let me Google it. What it means is that, you know, a horrific death on a cross. And then one more, just uh, kind of as a, you know, does Jesus live in your heart? Now, I understand we mean well by that, but that is just like a, does Jesus live in your heart? How in the world does he fit? How does he get there? It'd be like, hey, can Pastor Noe come and live in your heart? You're like, heck no. That sounds really painful. Right? But what, it, what, it is, what, it, what you're just saying, do you believe that Jesus saved you? Let's use, the, let's use some good terminology. I'm just trying to help you because we're going to, I'll tell you, you'll be talking to people and they're going to look at you like deer in the headlights and you're not going to know why. You did a great job. We just didn't communicate in a way they understood. So when you're telling others about Jesus, don't use Christianese, but really communicate well. Um, Number two, it's better to memorize or quote scriptures than it is to bring your 20-pound Bible to the conversation. Uh, If you feel like you need a Bible, just a small New Testament will suffice. But have a lot of that scripture on the inside of you. And then if they want to see it or they want to reference it, that's good. Because, you know, at the gas pump, be like, oh, hold on, let me get my Bible. You're going to put it on the hood of your truck and, you know, I mean, you got to really have it in you. So just have those memorized. Uh, Memorize the five critical components of the gospel and also the gospel definition. So we need to know grace, man, God, Christ, and faith. And we at least somewhat need to know what in the world those mean. 
the gospel, it's the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived, died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving um, he was the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sin to anyone who repents and believes in him. Need to know those, at least be ready, you know, if you're going to try to endeavor into that conversation. And number four, invite the Holy Spirit into sharing of the gospel. Acts 4.31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Um, now, a lot of times maybe you're like, well, I thought we get the Holy Spirit just so we speak in tongues. Well, speaking in tongues is a good thing, but it also ensures that we would speak, that we would preach the word of God boldly. So that's why we want to invite the Holy Spirit into it. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it enables you to speak the word of God boldly. Can I challenge you that you will not be able to share the gospel like you need to apart from the Holy Ghost being a part of your life? You'll do okay. I think you can, it can lead people to Christ. But I'll tell you what, those moments of where you just really, everything comes together and, you know, you just are able to communicate well and the Spirit of God is working with you, you will see a lot more success. Amen. You guys stand up with us. Uh, two, two things before you get out of here. Um, first and foremost, if what you heard today was not the gospel that you received and you're like, man, I don't know none of that. I didn't realize they just said, uh, just come to church. And there's actually having to release faith that God is who he said he was, that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And now he offers the free gift of salvation to you and I. And that's something you want to do this morning. You've never done that. Today is the day to activate that faith and come into the family of God. Today, don't leave and, you know, slippery outside, it's raining. If you got to stand before God today, you want to make sure you are ready before you leave this place. But if the prayer team can go ahead and come on up, but I want you to do that. If you said, man, Pastor, I, man, I, I didn't know none of this. I believe it all to be true. And I want to just release my faith and turn from my sins and receive the free gift of salvation today. That's all you got to do. So if you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you are a follower of Jesus in this room, I want you to really be diligent in really working to getting the gospel message inside of you, of making godly deposits in your heart so you have something to draw out of and give the world around you, please. You know, today, I don't know what the count is in the room. It's definitely over 100, might be tapping on 140. What's my number? Do we know? Nobody knows? 140, man, prophesied that. 140, they just gave me the official number. So I can speak to 140 people today and encourage you and share the gospel. And, and, I can, and we can leave from this place where we can ensure our, 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 heavenly, that our heavenly ticket into heaven today. Do you realize 140 of us, if we just leave this place and we speak the gospel of God's love to just one person, you know what kind of multiplication begins to happen? You understand it turns 140 into 280? And then what happens if 280 decide to do the same thing? I got into monkey math now. I got beyond me. It starts multiplying really, really fast. 560 is the next one? Well, the next one's easy because I got a 500 in there. But 
man, you start seeing where in the Bible where it says that, you know, many, many, there was multiple, you know, Jesus was multiplying daily those who were being saved. This is not just a Sunday thing. This is a lifestyle thing. I don't want you to feel ill-equipped or like you're like, man, I don't know what to do. I, I really am trying to give you the tools to give you the information where you know what to say, you know what to do, and then it's up to you with what you're going to do with it. Just like last week, I challenged you, man, look and ask God, pray for somebody to start the conversation with. Well, this week, my commission for you is to take that a step further. Maybe those you've already started the conversation with begin to sprinkle in some of these dynamics of the gospel in a hope that you might actually be able to lead them into a relationship with God. That's the heart. That's the goal. Um, And just be willing to be obedient. Well, I, I feel like most of you in the room, you said, Lord, if you led me to do something, I would do it. But right, would I agree with that? Most of you in the room would say, Lord, if you, if you ask me to do something, I'll do it. God was really, really serious about the great commission of going and making disciples, telling those around you about the love of Jesus. So what are you gonna do with the gospel this week? And that's the question I have for you. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each one under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that first and foremost, if there's any in the room that don't know you, Father, that today that they would come into a relationship with you. I pray they wouldn't leave this place without getting prayed for or coming to the front and just, you know, just really just saying, I want to follow Jesus and, you know, allowing us to help them take the next steps. But as we go from this place, Lord, we pray for divine appointments in the lives of others. God, I pray that you would help us be aware of what you're doing around us. And Father, that this week, that your kingdom would be uh, enlarged. That there would be many, many that come to the knowledge of Jesus. Because your kingdom truly is at stake. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would just stir us up. That we would be bold and courageous to go share Jesus with the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like to know more about our family, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HTC Bay City or find us on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.